the exciting, dangerous world of James Bond has arrived in Los Angeles. The Peterson Automotive Museum invites you to experience the cinematic legacy of over 30 iconic vehicles of James Bond in the new exhibition, Bond in Motion. This new Bond exhibition features the largest official collection of 007 vehicles in the United States, including the 1977 Lotus Esprit S1 submarine and No Time to Die Aston Martin DB5. Plan your visit today at peterson.org backslash bond. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot org backslash bond. You're listening to Rogue Agents, episode 23, featuring the BBC radio drama of Moonraker. third episode of the Rogue Agents podcast, a part of On Her Majesty's Secret podcast channel, brought to you by our fine Patreon sponsors and White Rocket Entertainment. I'm your host, Agent Delvin. I am filling in for a strep throat laden agent. Jared, get better, my friend. We will miss you. I'm sorry. That lost hand nearly killed me. Joining me as co-agents are, we'll start with Pat. Pat is going to tell us the most 007 thing that he has done since last episode. What's up, Pat? Hey, Delvin. I'm glad to be here. I'm feeling good. Hopefully, Jared got those candy cigarettes I sent him and was licking on them. Oh, I hope he wasn't licking on them because, man, I can tell you, they're, you know. Did you give him a warning, at least, so that oh, he would? I told him. Licking these cigarettes can be hazardous I told to your health. Him, and I said, <laughs> I said, don't worry, Jared. They're just candy cigarettes. Don't touch them, though, because there's no heroin on them. Ah, Pat, Pat, Pat. Okay, like, we got to work on that import-export part of it. You, you can't be giving our boy strep like that. Filthy habit. Yeah, but I'm sorry. It, it's okay. He's not dead, so it's good. He'll be back next episode. We'll be back. We'll be back with our dogs. Next up. It's Jason Albrecht, a.k.a. Weasel Skull, and he will tell us what's the most Bond-like thing he has done since last episode. What's up, Jason? Well, if folks remember, I was making my way through the crusade of reading all of the Fleming novels. and I, I do remember that. I recently finished Man with the Golden Gun, which is the last of the actual novel novels, and so now I just kind of have the short stories and collected works to go so i'm making my way through slowly but surely rumor has it that the man with the golden gun he has a powerful weapon and he charges a million a shot yeah he's an assassin second to none what did you think of the book i mean we got time and this is a bond podcast so you can tell us a little bit about the book itself i've never read it so i can get an education i thought it was interesting that not a lot of parallels with the movie James Bond has returned after being manipulated by Russian forces. Uh, it goes back through a couple novels. So he's like recently returned and back on the side of the angels. 
M doesn't know if he can trust him. And so he throws him up on this mission to go against Scaramanga, the man with the golden gun. It's a little bit bizarre. There's like a train involved and Bond has to go undercover, kind of. It was kind of hot and cold to me. Not one of my favorites. Okay. I'm sure Alan has some other things to say about it. I'm sure Alan has plenty of things to say, so I should introduce him. Next up is the man affectionately known to us as Tex. Welcome to the show, Alan. Alan is going to regale us now with the most Bond-like thing that he has done since last episode. Thanks, Devin. It's great to be back. Hope Jared gets better soon, and uh, we'll be back on the show soon. Actually, before I get to my Bond thing, yeah, I'll pick up on Man with a Golden Gun. It is Fleming's last one. Sort of half finished by the time he passed away, so he didn't sort of do a final polish on it, and you can tell that. But it, that was actually the first Fleming I ever read. It was actually the last story, which is weird, but that was my introduction to Ian Fleming. But uh, Jason, if you liked Man with a Golden Gun or were intrigued by it, I highly recommend Anthony Horowitz's recent continuation novel, A Mind to Kill, because it follows on directly from A Man with a Golden Gun. Oh, really? A yeah. Mind to Kill? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll do. So most bomb-like thing I've done recently. So last weekend, Jill and I went to Houston for the weekend, and we went to the Museum of Natural Science in Houston, where they had the Body World exhibit, which if you've watched Casino Royale, the first part of Casino Royale, where it goes to Miami, goes to this weird exhibit of dead bodies posed in weird situations, and they end up having mm-hmm. a fight. That's what the Body World exhibit is, and it was in Houston. So uh, we went to see that. We didn't find any lost baggage checks tokens, (laughs) and nor did we find any two guys having a close-fought knife fight in the middle of the room. But it was was fascinating to actually see it up close and in person. It was a little macabre, but also incredibly fascinating. So, uh, yeah, we went went to see that uh, last weekend. You and Jill should have done the pose, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it was very cool. That's awesome. You sound highly complimentary of it. That is very interesting. My Bond thing, I don't really have anything super uh, exciting to talk about. I've been working out recently with a friend of mine, Manuel, and I was learned how to lift a tire. So there is that. Like Bond doesn't have to do many feats of strength, but if he did, you know, he would get a cool picture that made him look like, you know, he was somewhat muscly once he picked it up. I was kind of surprised at the picture that was taken when I did it. It is tough, and I have, like, abrasions on my arms as a result of it. So that's at least semi-tough, I guess. And Bond is very tough. So that's at least a half-Bondian thing that I did for myself. This episode is the 23rd episode of our ongoing series on the channel called MI6 Rogue Agents, where we traverse the 007 universe. That can mean books. That could mean music. That could mean video games. Essentially any medium that connects to the Bond franchise that we love so much here on On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Now let's get to the subject for this episode, the BBC radio drama of Moonraker. Moonraker by Ian Fleming. Dramatized by Archie Scottney. Starring Toby Stevens as James Bond. Bond. James Bond. Samuel West as Sir Hugo Drax. Tell you what, Bond, this game needs livening up. Catherine Kingsley as Gala Brand. What the hell are you doing in my office? 
Jared Harris as Ronnie Valance. I don't like mysteries. Patricia Hodge as Professor Train. Bullseye. You're not just a pretty face. And John Standing as M. You heard about Churchill's announcement this afternoon. With Janie D, Julian Sands, Ian Ogilvie and Nigel Anthony. Martin Jarvis is the voice of Ian Fleming. It was quiet, too quiet. James Bond paused and listened. He felt oddly excited. Cautiously, almost fearfully, he moved forward and pushed through. We're moving on to the second Fleming novel, Moonraker, as dramatized for BBC Radio. This was the seventh of the Toby Stevens era of the BBC radio dramas, and it debuted March 31st, 2018. Here's Alan with a quick synopsis. So in this novel, we start off by learning about Sir Hugo Drax, who is the new hero of the British Empire, because he has donated the science and his new rocket, which will be the UK's new nuclear deterrent. He has donated it to the country. Everybody loves him. He is the darling of the media, except for M. Drax also plays cards at the same club that M goes to. And M is convinced that he is, in fact, cheating at cards. So he employs the best card player in the service, Mr. James Bond, to come along and try and prove that Drax is actually cheating at cards, which he does. And then the security guard at Drax's uh, facility is murdered under mysterious circumstances and they need a new security officer. So James Bond is basically assigned to be the new security officer at the Moonraker facility. While there he meets a attractive young lady, Drax's secretary, Gala Brand, who is actually also an undercover police officer working for Special Branch. She and Bond gradually realize that things are not quite what they seem, and maybe Hugo Drax is not quite who he seems to be. Thanks for that, Alan. And now we'll go through the panel and ask, is it a first listen or a re-listen? I want to start with Alan because I already know what the answer is. Alan. Actually, this is a first listen to this particular one. Oh, so, so. I am stunned. I'm already stunned. We, start, we started with a stunner. Let's go with Pat. First listen or re-listen? Well, it's a first listen for me, Delvin. Awesome. What about you, Jason? First listen for me as well. Fantastic. It's a first listen for me, too. So <laughs> even though this isn't the network for it, it's a reading rainbow regardless. And I am very happy we did it. We did it. We are all new to this. So very quickly, before we get to the highs or lows, we're just, I'm just a little bit curious. What Bond actor in this drama had your favorite voice? We'll start with Jason. I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit, Toby Stevens. I thought he did a really good job. And in fact, it was one of the things I was going to bring up on the highs and lows. I really like the scene in the casino where he's just catfishing Hugo Drax, that whole game, and the way he plays it off with his voice is really, really good. Awesome. Alan, who who's your favorite voice actor? Actually, I'm going to... I had it down as a what the note. They had Ian Ogilvy in the cast, 
who played the radio broadcaster towards the end. He did the, the sort of commentary. Uh, if you're not familiar with Ian Ogilvy, he played the same on TV after Roger Moore. Roger Moore did the same, and then when they brought it back as the return of the same, Ian Ogilvy played Simon Templer um, in the return of the same. And he is a very well-respected, highly known actor in the UK and also does a lot of voice work and still does. So to have an actor of that caliber just to be the radio announcer in this, I thought was very interesting and really the, just the depth of talent they had doing very minor roles in this, I thought was very impressive. And yeah, when I went down the cast list and saw his name there, I was like, really? You've got Ian Ogilvy and all he's doing is being the radio announcer was my what the moment. And I just love his voice. I think he has a great, a great acting voice. Nice. Pat, what about you? Jason took mine with Toby. I liked Hugo Drax as well, too. It was very convincing voice. I know the kind of character he was playing. And then at the end with the twist where he would kind of go back to his Germany roots. I thought it played pretty well. Spoiler warning, Pat. Oh, yeah, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to talk about it, right? That's right. We're going to talk about it. So, I mean, hopefully people would have picked up the cue to maybe listen before it got to that point. If not, you know, Pat's personal email is patsampson at, I'm kidding. Um, My favorite voice actor was whoever is the voice actor who played Krebs. I liked his voice because it was alternating between like Quasimodo almost. Oh, Mr. Jacks. <laughs> Quasimodo, maybe uh, the gentleman like, from Fantasy Island, maybe. It's kind of um, like the guy who played um, the bad guy in Casino, the, the TV series. Peter Laurie. Yeah, oh, oh, Peter Laurie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Peter yeah. Laurie had his kind of a... Oh, and his, yeah. Yeah, I, I liked his voice because, I mean, he sounded like a henchman. <laughs> like like he came out of the womb just ready to do evil deeds <laughs> for, for some mastermind. Like as soon as he found it, he's like, I found my calling. So, yeah, I, I liked his voice his whole time. Every time he talked it, he just sounded like he was just willing to do bad deeds. So I enjoyed his voice very much. So now we are in the mood. We can talk a a few highs or lows. We can go a couple rounds, I think, about what we enjoyed, maybe did not enjoy about the um, radio drama. Let's start with Alan. Alan, you got a high or a low for me? I'm going to start with a high. The book itself is a very exposition-heavy book. There's lots of explaining things, like the whole card game is like there's a whole chapter on just the card game and how that's played. There's chapters and chapters on Drax's backstory, explaining how it works. And I love the fact that they set that all up at the beginning with the combination of Churchill's speech and then M and Q on Bond being in the office and then having like the movie movie reel that they were watching and mm-hmm. Bond talking about what he'd read in the newspapers and stuff. And they managed to set up the whole premise for the thing in those first four or five minutes with that scene. That scene's not in the book. Q is not in the book. But the way that they use that and the audio of the speech, the movie tone used, the conversation, just to set up all the things that you really needed to know going into this story, I thought was really well done. I thought it was a very novel approach. And it was kind of cool that I am used to hearing American version of patriotism like that. It was interesting hearing the British version seemed nearly identical to the American version. 
I mean, Alan, you have ex- had experience with both countries, obviously. Did did you catch that too? Yeah, it was very much of its time. It's very much a, a reflection of Britain in the 50s when the future was bright and they were entering the space race and they were going to be a nuclear power and they believed there was still a world power and stuff. So yeah, it was very much that post-war, early 50s spirit of empire that was still hanging around stuff. So yeah, it was very much a reflection of things at its time. And by the way, there was a couple of love, lovely things I did enjoy about that that probably just flew right by you guys, but M made a, uh, a reference to Leslie Mitchell, who was the voice of Pathé News in the UK, who did all the commentary. So there's just a little throwaway remark he said about Leslie always being on point or something like that. Yeah. And then at the end, he, he said something about, you can take the movie projector back unless you've got a copy of The Cruel Sea. The Cruel Sea was a, a, a really well-known war movie that was written and starred Noel Coward, who was obviously one of Ian Fleming's best friends. So I thought that was a nice little sort of throwaway reference in there at the end as well. So Let me, let me ask you, Alan. Sure. Just one of my questions is, and you mentioned it, how close was this to the novels? Because we haven't read the novel yet. It's very, the basic storyline adaptation is, is really there. There are some key scenes that they've either shortened or taken out. There's some key aspects that they've taken out to get it into the time frame. But yeah, it's a very good adaptation of an abridged version of the novel. And like I say, they moved a few things around to make it work better for audio, but very good adaptation. Okay, great. Go ahead and stay off mute. What's your higher low? Going off of that a little bit is I wasn't sure what I was getting into. I looked at the runtime like I'm like, okay, this is an hour and 26 minutes. Do I got time to listen to it? And and that's kind of how, you know, even with the movies that we do and stuff, you know, I kind of break it up into chunks if I can because of the time that I have. But this was another one that these stories that we listen to with the radio dramas, just like the movie, all of a sudden it starts pulling me. (laughs) And so I'm like, you know, I'm going to listen for maybe 20 minutes. I can break it up in, you know, three 30 minute chunks and I'll be good. But no, I'm like, I went a little extra. I went like 45 minutes or a little bit more, and I started getting tired. But it kept my interest. And so I really liked that. I'm like, wow, I wonder if the novels are like this. I know when we read it before, Fleming gets a little more detailed-oriented. And Alan did mention that, that he goes a little more detail into the card play and things like that. So I can just say that the way they produce these things, the sound effects, the editing just really pulls you in and you know i can close my eyes i just found myself kind of daydreaming and how we watched it too off of the youtube uh, that's out there the picture that they had i was kind of just kind of staring at that and just kind of you know daydreaming about what was all going on so hats off to them on this one is very well produced and acted in this one just to pull me in like that yeah i had a similar beginning to you watching this so I was about an hour, 20 minutes. I'm like, all right, yeah, cool. And I started it on a drive back from my friend Patrick's place last night. And so, you know, it's dark and I'm just on the road listening. And sure enough, like as I go into the house, I just kept playing it because mm-hmm. I was interested in every detail and how they pulled you into the story. And it started out with the cool bridge game and everything. So I think I got to about 40 or 45 minutes in. Before yeah. I had to stop and you know, end it for the evening and carry on to the next day. But that's definitely a credit to really, really good storytelling because that's good storytelling to where mm-hmm. as soon as you just get that one or two good hooks in, it's like, OK, I know I'm not going anywhere for a while. I want to hear the rest of this yeah. story. That's what kind of prompted my question 
again, for Alan and or Jason too, whoever knows it, how close is it to it? Because just that storytelling that's going on with this is just really great. Nice. Jason. You know how there's this person that you know in your life that's always got a guy, right? I got a guy for that. Yeah. Jim is the ultimate got a guy guy, <laughs> isn't he? Like, there's not a problem that one of his double O's can't solve. I just love that about him. For my first time, I'm going to talk about him a little bit in these books. I'm just always fascinated. Thought he was fascinating in the novel Moonraker. And he comes across, in my mind, even more so just in the way that people talk about him, how Money Penny's concerned because James Bond might have too much of a tan and and how M looks down on people with too much of a tan because it means that they're goofing off, they're spending too much time outside, not enough time at work. But M sends them outside. (laughs) He sends them to do like homework first. Like, you know, hey, you got to go learn about nuclear missiles. So I just find it fascinating. And he would seem eccentric. As I listen to it, it's like, this is weird. You just suspect this guy cheats at cards, so now he's going to be on your 007 watch list. But he's right. It's like these instincts. Yeah. He's right. And it's just amazing. And he just always has a guy, and he's always got a plan. I know he doesn't get a lot of time devoted to him in the story, but what time he does have himself and the way people react to him and interact with him is really a lot of fun and very interesting to me every time I read it or listen to it. Yeah, he's definitely that guy behind the guy. Like He's the one that started the action. But ironically enough, that's an incredible tell, right? That you've got this guy that, I mean, they call him Hugger. He's just this warm, fuzzy guy. He represents the best of Great Britain. And yet he feels the need to cheat at bridge. And that's enough for him to be like, yep, yep. If he's willing to cheat at bridge, then something else is going on with this dude. We need to just keep an eye on him. If he's that powerful, feels the need to cheat at bridge, something else is going on. Do you think think that him cheating like that was, a, again, another way of him getting back at the Getting back at yeah, what this whole revenge thing was all about. Do you think it's his way of getting back? We can go around with that. Alan, what do you think? Yeah, I think part of it, that's a very good point, Pat. I've never really thought about it in that terms. Uh, I always thought of it in just in that he's yeah, a bit, well, a bit yeah. like Goldfinger and the others. That he just, just has, to, has to win at all costs. Uh, but actually, now you mentioned it, the fact that he's actually taking money from all these establishment figures who inhabit the Blades Club may be part of the whole revenge psyche thing. Yeah, that's, that's a good call. Good observation. Because he makes a, when he talks about, well, now that I've got your ears or whatever, and so he can, you know, give the whole story. I'm the evil guy. I'm going to tell you my whole evil plan. But he makes the thing to say that, you know, once he was let go of the hospital or wherever he was, he goes and robs somebody real quick just to get somebody. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, just to prove that he's kind of crazy and you know, is going to do what he needs to do to, you know, make Rob get his money and do all that. But yeah, I'm just wondering too, if that was a little nudge back. Jason, what do you think about that? What do you, what do you think about Drax cheating at cards? I like Pat's theory. I hadn't really looked at it at that angle, but it does make some sense. I kind of thought he was one of those guys that thought he was above everything else. But there are some people that think that they're above the law and 
And he kind of is, if you think about it, with the card game, even though they catch him cheating. Like, if anybody else had been caught cheating, if you and I had been in there being caught cheating, that's it. We would have been thrown out. We would never be allowed back. We'd be disgraced. But even him and everybody's like, okay, we've got to handle this delicately. So they teach him a lesson by having Bond kind of send a subtle message that, hey, you're not indestructible. There are rules here and you need to abide by them. But they don't do it in a way that they would apply it to anybody else. He just thinks that he can get away with it. And so he does. You actually made a good point. They never actually tell him that they know he's cheating. No, they never accuse him of it. They never accuse him of cheating. They just use Bond to basically cheat the cheater. Yeah. And when he's take his money, but they never, you're right. They never actually come out and say, and Bond got, got accused though. Well, Drax accused Bond. Yeah. Yeah. Could, yeah. Just to kind of throw him off. And yeah. See, I thought it was just a simple power dynamic. It was one of those like similar, what you guys were saying, but it's like, I can get away with this. And so I will get away with this. It's like, I went at everything else. So why would I not figuratively and literally stack the deck in my favor here playing cards? And it's just that simple. Like, because even the dynamic when he was working on the Moonraker project, the secretary, whose name I'm blanking on, help me out. Gala Brand. Yeah, Gala, she said that, yeah, he's kind of a kind of an ass, but he's been really good to work for, right? So it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, he's kind of a cheat, but yeah, overall, he's a good guy. So if anything, it was just kind of, kind of plays into what Pat says. He can't fully turn off his sneering hatred for Britain. So he has to let it out in some avenue. Like even he's doing a Moonraker project. And even though this whole project is designed to basically drop a nuclear warhead on London, even in building the thing, he has to kind of have a little bit of sneering contempt. Playing cards has to have that sneering contempt the whole time. And then there's that even if anyone had any sort of dissent to him whatsoever on this project, they found a way of falling down the stairs and mysteriously. And as it turned out, that was Hugo Drax as well. So, yeah, I think the whole thing was just the power dynamic. And the power dynamic may have just stemmed from him being just having an absolute hatred for England or Great Britain. Interesting thought. Yeah. Good so, discussion. One well, final question. Where's Dr. Goodhead in this? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a very quick ground myself in that just about the whole story was interesting. Yeah. It was interesting and conventional. They were going to build this Moonraker thing and it was going to be very revolutionary for Britain and and keep them on the map and keep revenue going. So everyone was praising this mogul. And instead, this guy had a seething hatred. And this was going to this like, nope, it wasn't going to drop harmlessly in the ocean. I was going to drop this (laughs) Buckingham Palace. I am going to end the rule of Britannia. That's a great plot. That's really, really good. I, and I saw this in the comments on YouTube. They're like, why wasn't this the movie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. This, yeah. For me, this is the great unfilmed Fleming novel. Yeah. And every part about it rings true today. Yeah. Like, you could film it today. You, you yeah. could film it today. Like, 
yep, maybe we hero worship our mega millionaire billionaires just a bit too much because maybe they all have like a seething hatred going on for them. Fantastic plot. So I just wanted to add that. We are go back around again to Alan. Alan, do you have another higher love or just a discussion point? This is actually my joint favorite Fleming novel. And as I said, I think it's the great unfilmed Fleming novel. I would love to see them actually do a proper adaptation of it at some point. For me, one of the highlights of the book is the car chase between Drax and Bond on the A20 as they head back to Kent. The way that's done in the book, it's one of the best action sequences in any of the Fleming novels, I think. It's really well described, the whole sequence, maybe just because he's a car guy, but I actually think it's one of the best car chases ever written. And I don't think it really translated well into the audio. It came and went pretty quickly. I think it's one of the things that they truncated to get it into the audio because it is a very visual sequence. And reading it, you can sort of see it more in your mind. I'm not quite sure how you would have got it on audio. So it's only a really small, minor gripe, but I was really looking forward to that sequence and it was sort of, it was over and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, That didn't really translate that well. But other than that, I think it was great. Like I said, the only other things was they did stuff that wasn't in the books, like bringing in Q and then they took out stuff that was in the book, like Bond taking Benzedrine to counteract the champagne while he was pretending to be drunk. So they took out the drug use and they took out a couple of other things, but I can see why they did that. But yeah, my only slightly minor negative is that car chase just didn't quite translate. Gotcha. Gotcha. Pat, your turn. Delvin, you did take what I was going to bring up about how interesting this whole story was. I really, again, fell into this thing because it was so down to earth. It wasn't like the one in the movie where it's like, oh, we got to get this big spaceship and it's going to go out there and here's the whole thing. I'm like, oh, wait, they're talking about a rocket. I'm like, okay, interesting, interesting. Base. They got a base here. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's just a rocket that's going to go up and then come back down. And I'm like, okay, this is really down to earth kind of a, a thriller here. Yep. That kept me very interested into it. And to find out that Gala was, you know, she was in on it as well, too. She was an operative inside already. How she was just doing these, the settings that they had to have that. And she was remembering that uh, all, all on the inside, just kind of figuring out. So somebody had to think something wasn't right with this guy to begin with a while ago to get her in on it. But like you said, he even was fooling her that she was feeling some compassion for Drax as well. Yeah, at one point, even though it was the gig was kind of coming up, she still wanted to make sure that the rocket got off without a yeah. hitch until she was kidnapped and she sort of started doing the math in her head and was like, wait a minute, mm. I know my numbers aren't wrong. So if yeah. everything is tilted by 90 degrees, oh, no, <laughs> yeah. not good. <laughs> kind of sticking with her. Is this the only time, well, in the novel, somebody will have to tell me that Bond doesn't get the girl? Pretty much, yeah. yeah Which was int- running through my head, and I think so. Yeah. Which was another interesting twist to this one. You're like, I was expecting, okay, he's going to go. We're coming to it. You know, he's going to meet her and blah, blah, blah. And then she says, nope, I'm going to marry this guy. What? Yeah. I was like, what? Boo. <laughs> you can just, you can just hear it in his voice. He was like, oh, uh. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, Bond Bond got curbed. I was like, holy cow, what? She's she's married. 
She's going to be marrying somebody. It's like, can you have a quick bachelorette party or something? The man saved your life. That, uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was disappointed by that ending. And she's the only Bond girl from the novels who's never actually been in one of the movies. Oh. Which is surprising. Yeah. Because I thought she was fascinating. She was capable. She had every reason to be cold towards yep. Bond. The yeah. reason that they started gelling together was organic. It wasn't weird and forced. So everything about her is something that you would want to see right now on a silver screen in 2022. Great, really strong female character with a lot Mm -hmm. of agency. Yeah. Uh, And as you say, she basically keeps Bond at arm's length and then at the end gives him that emotional twist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, oh, I would. I would. What would we do? Oh, uh, that sounds great. I can't. But oh, it's like, oh, go. (laughs) Get out of here. Bond made a comment in this thing. He was like, I'm going to do this to the rocket or whatever. You know, you run, get away. I'm going to make sure the rocket doesn't get off or whatever. And I'm going to harm myself and do it. I'm like, wait a minute. I've seen that somewhere before recently. Where he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's making a, a statement like, I'm going to stay here to save the world. A little no time to die cost my, that's, what yeah. you're, that's what you're saying there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. It's like, maybe. Interesting. I mean, if anything, the Bond movie universe has cribbed parts of novels and put them in movies. So sure. I can't say I. We have, a, we have an expert here. Alan, would you know anything about No Time to Die and having that parallel, or is it just one of those happy I, coincidences? You're right. They cherry-pick stuff from a, the novels all through the series, so who's to say whether they did or didn't from that? I mean, No Time to Die is more drawn from You Only Live Twice than this one. Mm. But this one, we talk about it not being filmed, but they've taken huge chunks of it, particularly the actual Moonraker movie, but actually Die Another Day, the first half of Die Another Day, the Gustav Graves character is hugo drax from the novel if you think about it yeah yes he is yeah 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 all right jason first i will applaud you for your patience and waiting through all that conversation so the floor is yours well well i won't keep you here for more than an hour or two double (laughs) oh seven i agree with what alan had stated about the car chase i'll state that out of the gate. That was one of the more interesting kind of visual elements of that novel. Alan had made the remark before that it was a lot of exposition in this book. And that there is, there's a lot of Bond doing math in his head, narration reflecting back upon history and how he learned these card tricks and how to cheat at cards and things like that. So I was kind of with Alan. I was a little disappointed with the car scene. However, I will say that they somehow made it work with the card game because that was really exposition heavy in the book. So much so I wasn't really sure I was following it by the end. And I was just like, okay, let's just kind of get this over with and power through it. But the way they did it in the audio drama, I thought it was really well done. Basically, they just kind of give the backstory like, hey, Bond, you're the best card player in the game, or you should be because, you know, we trained you up and you have all this experience from your past missions. Yep, I got it. And he gives a really kind of quick, here's some of the ways that they cheat. Let me watch him for a few minutes. I'll figure it out. Yep, I figured it out. I'm going to nail him. Uh, I'm going to have to string him along. Just play along with me. I'm going to have to act like I'm drunk. 
And then, like I said at the beginning, Toby Stevens does a really remarkable job of just being kind of loud and boisterous and annoying. And Drax is both annoyed by him and yet pleased that he's just fleecing this fool for all he's worth. And then Toby Stevens' voice gets that cold bond element like, oh, looks like I got a good hand. And just starts beating his ass. (laughs) And it's just, it's amazing. (laughs) I'm just like, I was listening to it. I was like, oh, yeah, get him, Toby. Get him. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that that was really well done. And that was kind of a theme throughout the whole audio drama, because I've read the book fairly recently. So I was a little bit nervous. (laughs) It's like, gosh, I wonder how they're going to pull this off. But they do this brilliantly in several places. Although I do agree with Alan. I wish they would have fleshed out that chase a little bit more. Overall, I think it was really, really good. In some ways, you could argue that a radio drama is 100% exposition, right? Because all we have to hear are words, even though they do throw some sounds in and stuff like that. I was super appreciative of the explanation of bridge because I don't know how to play bridge. I was impressed because it sounded, that first beginning sounded and was reminiscent of Casino Royale, a Bond movie that I love, but instead of playing Texas Hold'em, they play bridge instead. So the exposition of explaining bridge played very well. And it worked well in some other points too. So that combination for radio drama helped add to the imagination. One other really good use, I thought, of eliminating the exposition from the novel and just using kind of like the sound effects in the audio drama was the steaming when they were trying to steam bond and Gala out of the pipes there. Mm -hmm. And the way that he's just like, oh God, it's coming, right? And you hear that faint steam, two away, right next door. And it's getting louder and louder. And then it hits, boy, that was creepy. My skin, I was like, oh, brace yourself, Bond. (laughs) I love the imagination that it takes for them to bring the realism of what's going on in the novel to the radio, to where... You have to sit there and pay attention. Like I mentioned, the first half of this, I was in the car driving in the dark, and it was it was a perfect setting for it. The second half of it, right after work, I just sat in my office, you know, with no other background noise or anything to listen, so I could get that imagination. And those sounds absolutely played a great effect into it. I actually think the sound design on this one was spectacular. Like I said. It really caught me at the beginning with the sort of the recorded speech, the way they did that, the movie tone news. The steaming that you mentioned, Jason, yeah, that's a really tense moment as you can hear it getting closer and closer. The Moonraker takeoff and the explosion as well, all those. I know we've only done two so far, but I thought the sound design on this one was far superior and really helped build the tension and the storytelling. So whoever did the sound design on this, uh, kudos to them because I think it was brilliantly done. This was one that, like you said, Delvin, I needed to, put all my focus into listening to this one it was one that i feel like i tried to do something else and have it playing in my ear with the earbuds but i'm like oh man i can't i got (laughs) i had to i I found myself having to rewind it a little bit just because i'm like i must have missed something i'm like i gotta turn my brain off to everything else and focus on this and i think that's a sign of a very good product where you even feel like you want to do it it demanded your attention and that's a good thing 
And speaking of good things, maybe we should rate it. I'm getting a feeling I see what side of the spectrum we're going to be on, but I still have to read it for the listening audience. A reminder of the rating system. Seven martinis means that you loved it. It shook your martini. Six, excellent. Five, very good. Four, good. Three, just okay. Two, not so good. And one, you hated it. It stirred your martini. Ugh, who wants that? Ugh, just, <laughs> disgusting. We will start with Pat. You can start rating. What do you think about the BBC radio drama Moonraker 1 to 7? I've been thinking about that all the time we've been talking. And with this great discussion, I'm going to make this a 7. Uh, just because the, the stuff that everybody else brought to this, uh, that you guys brought up, made me double think things and think things through even more. So I, it's a seven. I loved it. This was one I would re-listen to again. Fantastic. That is awesome. Jason, what are you going to rate it? Not quite at a seven for some of the reasons that we've already discussed. Very minor, minor reasons, but it is really good. So I'm going to give it a six. Got a seven and a six. Alan, where do you land? I'm with Jason uh, with a six, just for a few minor quibbles, a few things that didn't quite translate. I think if I'd never read the novel, I would have given this a seven. But because I've read the novel and there's a couple of things that uh, didn't quite work, it dropped you down to a six. But I still think it's a really great adaptation. I am torn because I liked the movie Moonraker when I first watched it. It was very much Roger Moore Bond. It was campy. It was fun. It was a decent plot. You know, there was Jaws there doing the Jaws thing. It was a decent plot, but I absolutely love the radio drama plot. I like the radio drama plot more, and I am over the top impressed that you can pluck that story and you can, if someone made a movie about that today, you can even find a way to filter out James Bond if you want it to. And it could be like a Tom Clancy novel. You could just find just average action heroes, a mission impossible. <laughs> it fits everywhere. So I guess I just made up my mind. I'll give it a seven. Because it was, it was so adaptable. And I was very impressed by that. And as much as I did enjoy the movie Moonraker, I enjoyed this more. And Especially for me, like, of course, you know, as a guy in his mid 40s, I can't act like, you know, I'm too young for blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I didn't grow up listening to the radio for anything but music. You know, like I know in the 30s that entertainment was sitting around listening to radio dramas like that's what families did. I could never imagine that I would be doing this now and that I would be enjoying it like I have, like listening through this was just really fun and allowed me to have like the imagination like I was reading a book and that kind of made me feel like a kid again. So for all of those reasons and more, I give it a seven. It was it was fun. Jared, kudos for bringing these dramas and I'm looking forward to more. I did enjoy your briefing. So did I. And that's the show. As a reminder to our audience, if you'd like to be a part of the show, you can send us your questions, comments, or trivia challenges to ohmspod at outlook.com or over on our Twitter page at ohmspod. 
If you like, you can even use the email as a reminder, that's ohmspod at outlook.com to send us an audio recording of your question or comment, and we may even play it on the show. Please try to keep your audio file to around 30 seconds or less. We would love to hear from you and make you a part of the show. Also, if you're an Apple Podcast listener, we'd greatly appreciate it if you left a review for the show. That will help raise the show's profile to attract more of the 007 family to this program. As a reward for leaving a review, we will read your entire review on an upcoming episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. I want to thank the team for joining me on this episode. And before we go, let's find out where the listeners can find everyone on the internet. We will start with Alan. Well, thank you, Delvin. You can find me for Bond-related stuff on Twitter at BondLexicon, or you can check out the JamesBondLexicon.online website, which is the companion website to the James Bond Lexicon book, which you can find on Amazon. Thank you, sir. Jason? You can find me on Twitter at WeaselSkull or at Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. Pat? Well, Delvin, I'm glad you asked. You can find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. Where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y-1977. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of MI6 Rogue Agents. If you've enjoyed this crew and want to hear more from them, put in the realm of comic books, check out the Longbox Crusade, would you please? Pat, could you tell them where that can be found? Well, Delvin, I'm glad you asked. You can find us on most podcatchers out there or on www.longboxcrusade.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, all at Longbox Crusade. Come check us out. Thanks to the fellows for taking on yet another dangerous mission. Thanks to the listeners who tuned in. If you'd like to leave a question or comment on this or any other episodes, feel free to contact the show on Twitter at OHMSPOD or email us at ohmspod at outlook.com. We hope to hear from you soon. The next episode of MI6 Rogue Agents will feature Delvin's choice on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. We'll return. This episode features the James Bond GoldenEye 007 Trap Remix by The Whibbler. Thank you, Miss Money Penny. That's all. That's all. All right, let's this up. Woo! Culmination. Culmination. Absolutely. I have a hard enough time changing my own diaper. <laughs>